But just focusing on the names of God, I've kind of found myself having a regular practice of pulling up the names of God when I need to be refreshed by his character and by his nature and just going through them and and praying them and declaring him to be king and him to be Lord and him to be savior and him to be father and just there's a powerful, um, I've just experienced powerful times with the Lord as I actually run into his name and put my faith in who he's declared himself to be. And uh, so it was just good to do that together as a family. Well, we are going to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 4 just for a moment tonight. And before we do, let's just come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for faithful men who have gone before us, who have, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, given us the Word of God. We thank you that you speak through weak and broken men, and you speak to weak and broken men. We thank you for your Word tonight. Lord, we ask that you would give us open ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us right now, and you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we would hear the Holy Spirit and we would see the face of Jesus tonight. Lord, where we need to be convicted, I ask you to convict us. Your conviction is sweet. Your conviction brings us to the place of changing our mindsets and turning back to you and running into your arms. We ask, Lord, where there needs to be encouragement, that you would encourage us tonight through your word. Lord, release your Holy Spirit to encourage us tonight through your word. And we love you. Amen and amen. Well, we're really not going to get beyond verse 5 in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm just going to read it from verse 1 and then we'll... Pause in verse 5, and then start to unpack this a little bit. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We talked about that a few weeks ago. This word for, for servant was a word that was used in, in the Greek of a galley slave in a, in a ship. And one who had the oars and he was rowing under the, the, the deck of the ship. And the captain would be up on the deck and he would be giving orders of, of where to row. And Paul said, you can think of me like that. Jesus is the captain and I, through his leadership, am giving momentum to the church of God. He said, you can think of us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. And we went into what it meant to be a steward in the time that, uh, that Paul was writing. A lot of households would have lead servants, and they would be called the steward of the household. And the master of the house would entrust all of his finances. He would even entrust some of the raising of his children. He would entrust his, his crops and his livestock at the marketplaces, and the steward would be in charge of everything, though he was under the leadership of the master of the home. And so Paul said to you, Corinthian church, I'm, I'm a steward. I'm serving you, but I'm under Jesus' leadership. And he says that he's a steward, he's to be found faithful with the mysteries of God. And we went into some of those mysteries of God, that Jesus is head over all, and he's going to bring heaven and earth together under his leadership and we will be his people and he will be our God and he will dwell in our midst. One of the mysteries we went into is Christ within us, that he lives within us, the hope of glory. Paul said this is a mystery not that we can't understand it, but it it used to be hidden 
And now it's revealed when we come under the leadership of Jesus Christ. Many people don't see Jesus like we see Jesus. It's a mystery to them. But it's not a mystery to us, is it? He's not hidden to us. So we also get to be the stewards of the mysteries of God. And we get to unfold the mysteries of the kingdom of God to those who don't know him. Isn't that wonderful? That is such a privilege. And Paul speaks of it as a privilege, but he also speaks of it as, as something he is to be found faithful with, that he's been entrusted with. He says, I'm a steward of the mysteries of God, and it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So Paul, though he was serving the Corinthian church, he was doing it with the vision of, I'm going to stand before Jesus and give account, give account to him of what he's given me. You guys remember the parable in Matthew chapter 25? And to one servant, he left five talents. To another servant, he left two talents. To another servant, he left one talent. And Paul has that vision in mind. Lord, what you have entrusted to me, I want to reproduce. So that when I stand before you, I was faithful. And I think Paul had that vision of, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant when I stand before Jesus. How many of you guys want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when I stand before Jesus? Oh, guys, we're all in different journeys on that path, but we will all stand before him. That's what the word teaches. If you're a believer, you will stand before him a little quicker than if you're an unbeliever, but all creation will stand before him. And only he evaluates our life justly. Did you know that? He will justly evaluate our life. And he will reward those who have found shelter in his name, who have served him with their lives. And even to those who, haven't, or who have found shelter in his name, but have not given their all, have not given themselves to the good works he has for them to do, Jesus says, they will come into the kingdom. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just the chapter before. They will come into the kingdom, but they will actually experience a little measure of regret because though they're saved, some of their works aren't rewarded. And if that's a new teaching for you, don't let that shock you. That's all over the word of God. That gives us motivation. We want to store up treasures in heaven on this side. Amen? We want to spend our life for his glory and for his kingdom, awaiting the weight of glory that Paul says that will be ours for these small trials and small afflictions we're going through now. There's a weight of glory being stored up for us if we're faithful to him. And so, Paul moves on, and he says in verse 3, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. And in fact, I don't even judge myself. So, what's happening is that there's some judgment being pronounced on Paul in the church of Corinth, in the city of Corinth. They're evaluating his life against other apostles that have come through. And they're kind of quarreling about maybe Paul's leadership. We don't know exactly what they were, you know, had a beef about with Paul. But they were passing judgment on him. And he says, though I'm being a faithful steward to you, I'm not going to be judged by you. I'm going to be judged by Jesus. And it's a small thing to me what you guys think about me in your evaluation of my inner heart, of my inner motives of what I'm doing. Let's go on. We're going to get into that a little bit later. Paul says, for I know of nothing against myself, meaning he's like, I don't think I've done anything wrong. <laughs> That's what Paul says. How many of you guys have been in that place of, I don't think I've done anything wrong to you, but for some reason you're mad at me. How many of you guys have... Had that? Yes, okay. Paul says, I don't know of anything I've done against you guys. He says, but I'm not even justified by this. He says, it's the Lord that is going to judge me. 
It's the Lord that is going to tell me if I had a right motive toward you, Church of Corinth, or if I had wrong motives. And that's who I'm talking to about my ministry to you. And then in verse 5, we're going to stay here a little bit. He says, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then, and I think Paul's saying, and only then, each one's praise will come from God. I'm going to read that again. I'm going to read it in the ESV this time. I was in the New King James. The ESV says this, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation before the Lord or his commendation from God. So Paul's Paul's talking a lot about judging here in 1 Corinthians 4. And we're just going to stay on this topic of judging just for a minute. Because the Bible has many things to say about judging. It has many things to say about us evaluating another believer's life and us evaluating an unbeliever's life. Many people throw out the, the one verse they know about judging and they say, you know, judge not lest you be judged. And they say, oh, we're not supposed to evaluate or judge anything. And I just, that, that's kind of, that's not the whole counsel of Scripture. Because there are things we're not supposed to judge. And Paul is very clear, even in the next chapter, there's things we are supposed to judge. There's things we are supposed to say, no, that's wrong. And you shouldn't be living your life like that if you name the name of Jesus. And Jesus actually says the same thing to us. So we're going to get into this a little bit. This is a dicey topic, subject. So let's have grace and let's just see what the Bible says and let's all be willing to go, you know, whatever the Bible says, that's what we're going to put our hope and faith in, right? Okay. So the Bible actually says two things about judging, that Christians are supposed to judge one another and Christians aren't supposed to judge one another. Okay. And that simple and like easy to understand. All right. But we're going to get into this just a little bit. So Christians are, we're actually supposed to be for one another and judge one another and evaluate one another's lives and call each other higher, that we would reach for the high calling of Jesus Christ that is, that is ours to reach for. So we're actually, we are supposed to judge one another's lives, but then we're not to. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13, just... If you're in 1 Corinthians 4, just put your eyes over on 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says in verse 12 and 13, it says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. But then in talking about the church, Paul says, Purge the evil person from among you. So, But Paul just said in chapter 4, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. So, which one is right? And some say that Paul contradicts himself here. I don't think he does. I think he's saying there are things we are called to judge and there's things we're called to stay away from. Okay? Many people say that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, it's his famous statement of, judge not lest you be judged, that Jesus doesn't give Christians the right to judge one another. But if you read that whole verse in context, Jesus is talking about hypocritical judgment. That you are not supposed to point out something in someone else's life when you have a major issue with that same thing. And Jesus actually calls us to judge ourselves before we judge others. Paul calls us to do that same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Before you take communion, he says, pass judgment on yourself. Think of your life. Are you living? Are you walking? Are you pursuing the Lord the way he's called you to pursue? And if you're not, repent and change your mindset before you take communion. 
And Jesus actually calls the believer to the same thing. He says, for with the judgment that you pass on someone else, it will also be passed on you. So be very careful if that speck is in your brother's eye, but you have that log in yours. I mean, it's just comical, right? If you had a log sticking out of your eye, okay, and I just picture like little children laughing as Jesus is like doing the Sermon on the Mount, you know? This is such like a picture that my children would laugh at. You know, this, a guy has a log sticking out of his eye, but he's looking at another man's eye and say, hey, you have something in your eye with a log sticking out of his eye? I mean, it is. It's comical. We, we kind of get used to the statement, but Jesus is saying, it'd be absurd for a man who has a log sticking out of his eye to try to find the speck of wood in his brother's eye. He says, you know what you should do? You should really work on that log. <laughs> Amen? We really need to work on the logs that are in our eye, right? But then Jesus says, but once that log is out, what does he say? You can see clearly to do what? To help your brother with the speck that is in his eye. He says, just don't do it hypocritically. And then he says, and be careful, actually, who you do it to after you even get the log out of your eye. He says, don't cast your pearls of wisdom before swine or before people who are going to trample it and not call it wisdom. How many of you have tried to call someone higher, but they didn't count that as wisdom? It's actually a very tough position to be in. And Jesus says, be careful when you're doing that. So, Jesus says, don't judge hypocritically in John, I mean, in Matthew chapter 7. And then in John 7, he says that we're not to judge by the appearance of what we see, but we're supposed to judge with right judgment. So, I've confused everyone pretty good. Okay, Marcus, we're not supposed to judge anyone, and we are supposed to judge people. Okay, so let's talk about what we are not to judge first. And I think 1 Corinthians chapter 4 Bring, pull, uh, uh, highlights it pretty clearly. I don't think we are supposed to judge the hidden purposes of someone's heart. I don't think we're supposed to judge their, their motives, their intentions of why they're doing something. Paul says this in this verse. Let's just read it again. He says, Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Now we're going to get into this in the in the later in the in a little bit later in these notes. But it's very clear in scripture only God can see the heart. Only God can evaluate your inner motives rightly. Now there will actually be those going back to the sermon on the mount that stand before the Lord and have done things for him. In his name, even. They've prophesied in his name. They've had powerful Holy Spirit ministries in his name. Yet, the Lord is seeing the intentions of the heart. The Lord knows his heart connection with that person. And he says, I never knew them. I never yadad them. I was never intimate with them. Now, that's a scary place to be, isn't it? That's a scary place to be for me as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel. That's a scary place to be for us as believers. Because it says, though we can be doing things for the Lord, our hearts can be far from him. Jesus says this of the Pharisees. He says, you serve me with your lips. You have lift service to me, but your hearts are far from me. I think that's Matthew chapter 15, either Matthew chapter 12 or chapter 15. And he says, you're actually, you're, you're, my name is on your lips, but you don't have my heart, and I don't have your heart. So, Jesus judges the hidden purposes of the heart, and we're not supposed to judge that. So the Corinthians, what they were doing, they were comparing leader to leader, and they were passing judgment on them. It says in chapter 3, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all, or this is chapter 1, that all of you agree 
and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. I mean this, that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow Christ. So they were kind of pitting these leaders up against each other and saying one was better than the other. And just think of this for a second, okay? The Corinthian church said, I mean, the Corinthian church had Peter visiting them, you know? I mean, one who walked with the Lord closely for three years. One who denied him and was restored by Jesus face to face. The guy who preached Acts 2, I would love to talk to Peter. What was Acts 2 like when the Holy Spirit consumed the church for the first time? And there were tongues of fire and there were new tongues being spoken. And everyone was hearing of the glory of God in their own language as you were preaching on the streets and preaching in the temple. What was that like, Peter? So some were saying, hey, I, I like Peter. And he's a, he's a little bit better preacher than Paul. Paul comes out quite a few times and he says that he's not great with words in his letter. He says his words are strong in his writing, but they're weak amongst them in his speaking. And so I think Paul had a little insecurity about his preaching. Some people think that that was because of his many persecutions. That when you've been beaten with the cat of nine tails, when you've been beaten with that whip five times in the synagogue, when you've been beaten with the rods, when you've suffered as he suffered, that he suffered a speech impediment from it. We don't know. But some of them were saying, eh, Paul's not the best speaker. And you know what? I don't, his, his theology, it's, it's a little too works oriented. I like Paulus better. Paul's a little better speaker. And, and. But Peter, oh man, you got Peter, and he walked with the Lord, and he moves in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they were pitting these leaders up against one another. And they were starting to judge the motives of Paul's heart. And Paul says, guys, don't do this. Don't think you know the inner workings of someone's heart and pass judgment on them because of it. And we do this with leaders all the time. We know, I mean, we do this with people in our lives all the time, right? It's been what we were talking, it's been, it's what we've been talking about with the mold thing. Misalignment, miscommunication, misunderstanding, mistreatment. All those misses. <laughs> not the women misses, not all those misses. But when there's miscommunication or there's misunderstanding and suddenly... That O comes into play. That opinion starts to get formed. And that offense starts to get taken. And we begin to go, they meant to do that. They know that that would hurt me. We might not say that, but we think it. Or even in the mistreatment, they, 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 though you've been mistreated, they meant to mistreat me. They meant to cause me pain. And we don't take it to that person and, and get it all out on the table and see if that was really their intention. And we begin to form that opinion, right? We've all done that, right? Sometimes we do it with our children. They walk down the hall and they have that attitude and we're just like, oh, they meant to do that. <laughs> we do it with our brothers. We do it with our sisters. The holiday season's coming around. How many of you guys had a little bit of struggle with this at Thanksgiving, okay? That miscommunication, that, that, that misunderstanding, and you begin to like, oh, that hurt. And in that hurt, you begin to form that opinion, oh, they, I, I think I can judge why they did that. Paul says, we have to stay away from that. And I think the word is very clear. I think also Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, is speaking to that. He's saying, don't judge the hidden motives of the heart. Don't think you can see that. Look at your own self. Look at your own life and get that right before the Lord. And I think we need to do a good job of remembering the words of Jesus. Don't judge the appearances. We need to judge with righteous judgment. We need to take it all to the Lord. He's the only one that can see. He's the only one that knows the hidden motives of the heart. And in that misunderstanding, we can go, Lord, I'm going to believe that they 
did not know what they were doing. Just like you believed on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, can you believe that that came out of the Son of God's mouth? Father, forgive them. They don't know they're killing the Son of God right now. But through this sacrifice, all the earth is going to get saved. Isn't that wonderful? And Jesus gave us that example. One of his last words, one of his last statements of who he was and who we are to be in his, as his disciples. So, we're not supposed to judge the hidden motives of the heart. We're not supposed to think we understand the inner workings of someone and pass judgment on that. So that's what we're not supposed to judge. What are we to judge? And I think the scripture is very clear with this, that we are to judge or we are to evaluate the explicit sinful behavior of a brother that is in Christ, of someone who names the name of Jesus. If they're living in open sin, and when sin is brought to the light, we need to say, that is sin, and you need to repent of that. Now, a lot of us weren't raised in a Christian context, in a church context that did this well, okay? We weren't raised in families that did this well. Because Jesus, though he says we are supposed to, now again, this is open sin. We don't think, okay, where there's smoke, okay, we, yeah, they're, they're definitely doing that, okay? We wait for the Lord to bring it to the light. Now, we can have some honest conversations. Hey, are you, are you struggling? Something just seems to be off. And we can give people an opportunity to say, yeah, I, I really am struggling with this sin. But we don't evaluate, say, yeah, that's them and they're doing that when we don't know. We have to wait for it to come to the light. And when it comes to the light, that's when we need to deal with it, right? So let's go to, over to chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 9. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Now, there's something going on in the Corinthian church that Paul addresses in chapter 5. A man was having uh, uh, an, an affair with his father's, um, with his stepmother. That's what was happening. Um, either it was an affair and the, the father was still alive or the father had passed away and they were having this relationship and they weren't married yet. But there was, there was open sexual immorality going on. And Paul says, and not like sexual immorality that's not even named among the Gentiles. And he's rebuking them for not addressing it and for not kind of cleaning it out of the church, for calling it to the light. The man was, it says in chapter 5, that he was, he was puffed up and he was, he was blatant in his sin. And he was still among the church. And Paul says this in verse 9. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. Since you would need to go out of the world <laughs> to, to not associate with them. And we feel that sometimes, right? Like the only way we would escape this is if we would go be with Jesus right now, right? He says, I'm not talking to you about those guys. You're supposed to be friends of sinners to those guys to bring them to the Lord. He says, but I'm writing to you, verse 11, to not associate with anyone that bears the name of a brother or bears the name of Jesus. Sorry, I lost my place. Do not associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idler, idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. And the, the context here is ones who don't repent. Okay? Now, if you've ever messed up, if you have ever, have ever done any of these things, but you come back to the Lord, and you come back to the body of Christ, and you repented, and that's not who I am. I am a child of God who struggles with sin sometimes, but I'm not person struggling with sin, trying to be a child of God. If that's you, and if, and then that's not who Paul is talking about here. It's those who are sexually immoral or greedy 
or idolaters, and they're not repentant of it. And they're living in boldness, saying, I can do this in the church. Paul says, don't even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? We read that before. It's not, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside of the church, but we per, and Paul uses this very strong language here, he, we purge the evil person from among us. That's what he says. Now, Jesus says that we would know a tree by trying to perceive the type of sap that's on the inside of it, by trying to look in the middle of it and seeing if we can see inside the tree. Is that what Jesus says? Does he say we will know a tree by cutting it down <laughs> and looking on the inside and saying, yeah, it was a maple tree. I, I was right. No, he said, we will know a tree by its fruit. And I feel like that's what Paul is saying here. And he says, when the fruit of sin is born in a person's life, that's when we need to address the sin and we need to call them to change their heart before the Lord and call them to repentance. Only the Holy Spirit, using that tree analogy, can get inside the tree and change the sap and produce good fruit from that tree when it's producing bad fruit. Can you do that? No. Can you get inside of a person and change their heart to produce good fruit in their life when bad fruit is being produced? No, we can't. But we can call them to return to the person that can do that in their hearts, that can do that in their lives. Now, this is one of the hardest things to do in the body of Christ. How many of you have ever experienced this, where you've had to, you've had to address sin in a brother or sister's life and call them back to repentance, call them back into fellowship with one another? How many of you have, have ever had to do that? That's hard, isn't it? It's hard. How many of you have had it not go well before? It's hard. How many of you have been that person that someone said, hey, you need to watch this and you need to work on this and you need to give this part of your life to the Lord? How many of you have been that person? And aren't you grateful on this side that someone pointed that out in you? That someone didn't let you go down that road? You're not grateful in the moment, right? You're embarrassed in the moment. You're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing in the moment? But then you go, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And the Holy Spirit can do that in our lives. That's amazing. This is the promise of the new covenant. This was Ezekiel saying, Israel, there's coming a day when you will be washed outwardly from your sins and inwardly, that heart of stone that wants to turn from the Lord, he's going to put a heart of flesh in you. And your heart is going to be soft toward the commandments of God. And you are going to want to obey from the inside out. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the wonder of the new covenant. Now, when we call out sin in a person's life, do we do that openly and in public and blast it out over the internet? No. What does Jesus say? How does he say to do it? Go to that person one-on-one -on -one first. Matthew chapter 18. It's a beautiful passage of how we are to judge those that are in the church or evaluate sin in those that are in the church. We go to them one-on-one. -on -one. We give them opportunity to, to repent privately so that it's not broadcasted to the church. Isn't that beautiful that Jesus said to do that? That's how Jesus comes to us and convicts us, right? It's one-on-one. -on -one. It's not everyone at one time. No, he says, I want to talk to you about this in your life. It's kindness. Where he said, uh, it's his kindness that calls us and pulls us into repentance. I think that verse needs to be taken in two ways. One, when we see his kindness toward us. How many of you have ever been overwhelmed by the kindness of God toward you through his son, Jesus Christ? And you've just had that moment of, you didn't have to do this, Lord. 
You didn't have to sin your best. You didn't have to justify me before your throne. You didn't have to wash my sin. So we experience revelation in the kindness of incending the Son. But how many of you have also had the Holy Spirit come to you in a private, kind way and lead you into repentance? I have. That's the gift of staying faithful before the Lord in prayer. He has the opportunity to speak to you. He has the opportunity to convict you. That's why I love the word of God and his conviction is sweet when it comes through his word, isn't it? You learn to know that it's the father going, no, 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 no. I want the best for you. Don't, don't, don't go that way. I want you to stay over here. I want the best for you. His conviction is sweet. That's how the Lord does it with us. And so we're supposed to go to our brother one-on-one and say, I, I, I see this in your life and it's, it's blatant. Like you've done it. I've seen it. And you call someone to repentance. And then if they don't hear you, what are we supposed to do? Take another brother with us and have the conversation again. Now that's sometimes the hard part, right? It's hard to take that other person with you and bring up that conflict again. How many of you just love conflict? You live for it. You, get, you wake up every day and you're like, I cannot wait till something goes wrong and I get to tell someone. It's horrible. I mean, I sometimes go, Lord, why did you call me to be a leader in the body of Christ? Because I hate conflict. My wife will tell you when I have to have a hard meeting or I have to have something like this. And, you know, I wear it for days. And I walk in the house and I'm sighing. I'm, oh, and she's like, what's wrong? And she's like, oh, I know what's wrong. You have to have a hard conversation. And you won't have it for another two weeks and I'll have to live with you like this for two more weeks. Now I'm just playing. That's actually not too far from the truth, but I'm getting better. I love unity. I love harmony. I love people coming together and feeling the synergy around, around a unified idea. I love that. That's what I live for. It's so fun to me. So, a lot of us don't like conflict, but the Lord says, have the conversation again. And then he says, do it a third time. And then he says, bring other members of the church around you. If the guy still isn't listening or the person still isn't listening. Guys, that is tricky on how to do that. He doesn't say, he doesn't give us the scenario, he doesn't give us the, the steps for each scenario. He just says, this is the process and you have to talk to me through the Holy Spirit on how to administer this. But what does it say in Matthew 18 is the purpose of this? Is it, is the purpose to kick someone out of the church? Well, if they're not repentant, it actually is because that person is going to influence other people in that sin in the church. And he says, I love my whole church too much to allow that to go on. And when I say kick out of the church, I mean, we don't excommunicate people and we're not. But this is what Paul is talking about. When there's an unrepentant person in sexual immorality, don't associate with them anymore. But what's the positive side of Matthew 18? We gain a brother. Jesus says this, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in your midst. That verse comes at the end of that whole restoration process. So Jesus says, if that brother comes back in to relationship, guess what? There's more glory for my name and there's more of my presence in your midst. Now I can do that for more of the presence of Jesus. What a sweet reward. That he says, if you do this and the brother comes back in to relationship with me, into repentance, back into the church, guess what? Glory is going to be poured out in the church. It's what Jesus says of where they're together in one, in my name. That's where my glory is in John 17. So we want to be about judging others rightly, but with kindness and with humility. Paul says in Galatians 1, he says this, Brothers, if anyone of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual or you who are mature should restore that person with a wrong, mean, bitter spirit. Does that feel right? No. 
He says, you should restore that person with a spirit of gentleness. Just like the Lord's gentleness and kindness leads us to repentance. Paul says, do it the same way. Do it with gentleness. Do it with love. Do it with compassion. Do it knowing that you could slip up in that very same thing, right? So, there's many other scriptures on this and we won't go into it. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. It says, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his con- commendation, not condemnation. That's a bad word to, to, to trip up there. I'm going to say praise instead of, <laughs> so I don't trip it up. All right. Then each one will receive his praise or his commendation from God. I love this verse because Paul's saying, I'm living my life. I'm going to stand before the Lord and I want him to praise my life because it reflected him and because it looked like him. I want him to know the motivations of my heart and for them to be revealed because I'm living for his glory. I'm living for his name. I'm ministering to the Corinthian church because I'm being faithful to him as a steward of the mysteries of God. And I'm living for that smile that I want to see on his face when I come before his throne and he looks at my life. I want to see a smile on his face, guys. Even just in studying this today, I was just like, Lord, I want to see a smile as a father. I want to see a smile as a husband. I want to see a smile as a leader. I want you to smile upon my life. So, Lord, change the inner motives of my heart and let them be only for you. David actually said something similar to Solomon in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 28, verses 9 through 10. He says this, You, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father. That means know him intimately, know him experientially. And serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind or a willing spirit. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. Think of that. The Lord searches every heart in the earth right now and understands every plan and thought. And if you seek him, Solomon, you will be found by him. And if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful, Solomon. For the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Now think of David who is instructing Solomon. Think of his experiences with the Lord seeing the inner workings of his heart and rewarding him for it. I mean, think of the first time Samuel came. If you don't know the story, the prophet Samuel comes to the house of Jesse. And the Lord has rejected Saul, and he's going to anoint a new king. And all of David's brothers are in the house. And Samuel comes up to the the tall, handsome, firstborn Eliab. And he says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And the Lord speaks to Samuel in that moment and says, Samuel, this is not the Lord's anointed. I have rejected him. I do not see as man sees. I'm looking at the heart. And there was this young, probably 14, 15-year-old kid out in the field, and he was cultivating a heart to serve the Lord. And David gets called in before the prophet Samuel, and the, and the Lord says, that's the one. I saw his heart when no one was looking, and I'm going to elevate him to lead my people because his heart is united toward me. His heart is for me. His heart is to serve me. And David is instructing Solomon, Solomon, God sees your heart. Think of it in 2 Samuel chapter 7, another time in David's life. And David has has conquered all of his enemies, and he's resting in his palace that's made of cedars. And he has this longing, he goes, Lord, I'm resting in a palace made of cedars, but you are dwelling in a tent. I want to build you a house. And what does Nathan do? Walks in and says, The Lord has spoken to me, David. Do all that's in your heart. 
What is in your heart? I'm seen, and I want that brought forth. And there's this beautiful dialogue between the Lord and between David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's such a precious thing. The Lord sees our hearts. He sees the movements of them, and he will reward the movements of our hearts when we stand before him. There's a verse in Hebrews that it just sticks out to me every time I think of this. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. Write that down. It's a beautiful meditation. But in verse 10, the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust to overlook your deeds or your works for him and the love that you have shown in his name in serving the saints. Guys, there are times in our lives that you don't even remember loving God and serving someone. Mothers, there are times in your motherhood that you don't even remember loving your daughter, loving your son in a way as you were obedient to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I'm doing this for you. You don't even remember the coworker that you, you held your tongue and you didn't lash back out because you were serving Jesus and you were obeying Jesus. Jesus says, I have a book and I have many scribes in heaven and I'm writing every one of those down. And you are going to be shocked when you stand before me on how I remember every work and every act of love done in my name. Isn't that encouraging? The Bible's so clear. He's coming back to reward, it says, his prophets, his servants, those who know him, both great and small. He's coming back to reward them. And I think his evaluation is going to shock us. I think it's going to make us do cartwheels and flips. That's actually what it means when it says, rejoice when you are persecuted for my name, for great is your reward in heaven. That word for rejoice is dance like a madman. Did you know that? He says, dance like a madman if you are persecuted for my name, for the way I will reward you when you stand before me. Isn't that wonderful? That verse is providing much comfort to believers in the Middle East right now. That verse is providing much comfort to believers in China right now. Rejoice, dance like a madman. My reward's going to be so great. Amen. Oh, we could go on and on. But I actually want to take some time for ministry right now. The Lord sees the movement of our hearts. The Lord calls us to not judge the inner working of someone's hearts. That's his job. He evaluates the heart. The Lord calls us to uphold a standard of righteousness in the church and with a spirit of love and a spirit of humility. And I was just thinking about this time, and actually I asked Pastor Ray, as I was talking, do you have any thing of, of how we can respond in ministry to this? Mm-hmm. Here, come up here. Come up here. I asked Pastor Ray, I was like, I, I want to go into a ministry time with this, but I just want her to be listening and asking the Lord. And so as I've been talking, she's just been like, Lord, how do we apply this? And so I'm just going to have her kind of share what she's been I didn't have a scripture per se, but even when we were praying in the prayer room before we started, it just seemed like tonight was a night for our hearts, that the Lord wants to minister to our hearts, that he wants to just, we're going to have a ministry team up here tonight, and if you're struggling, if you're hurt, if there's some place where you need the Lord to minister to you, in that in that sweet place in your heart, tonight's a night where I think he wants to meet you right there. There's no judgment. There's, uh, we're certainly not in a place to judge, but we're in a place to just ask the Lord for his kindness and his sweetness to meet you wherever you're struggling. That's good. Yeah. So, 
we're going to end with, with this ministry time. Uh, Ray's asked some people to come up and pray. I, I kind of feel like kind of three things tonight. One, if you have found yourself kind of regularly passing judgment on the motives of people's hearts around you, and it's causing you to close your heart toward your brothers and sisters in the Lord, and it's causing you to, to maybe even gossip, to maybe even slander about them, but it's just been, it, it's nothing that's been done. It's something that you, you think is going on, but you're not for sure. You're just, you're just passing judgment over someone's, the, the inner workings of their heart. And if you need freedom from that, I think this, is, this would be a good ministry time for that tonight. The other thing that I think is, is if we have tolerated sin around us and we just need grace to, to have that, that hard conversation with a friend of ours, we need courage, we need, we need a steadfastness in our spirit, and we need strategy to do it in love and in kindness. I think that's for us tonight as well. And then I guess the third thing would be if we need renewed vision for living before the Lord. If we need renewed vision that He sees our hearts and He's going to reward them well and our, the vision of our life needs to be kind of reset to receive that praise that comes from Him and Him alone. That when we stand before Him, we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. If you just need kind of that reset in your heart tonight concerning that, or just an encouragement that he sees the love you have in your heart toward him, I think those could kind of be our three ministry time themes. So we're going to end a little early and go into this. If you can pick your kids up between uh, 8.15, 8.20, you feel free to come back in here. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to uh, go to the piano. Ray, if we can have just different you and different ministry leaders to come up. Maybe Rachel, if you could come up and my wife Rachel and just be ready to pray. And we're just going to kind of dismiss in this uh, uh, mode of ministry. So let's, let's if you want to leave, just you're totally free to go. If you want to come up for prayer, you're free to do that as well. But let's kind of uh, have respect for those who are coming up and take our conversations outside the sanctuary. And we'll just allow the Lord to do heart surgery on us tonight. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for coming tonight. And uh, we'll see you next week, okay?